0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. It's now the beginning of June, and once again, our entire nation is taking an entire month to celebrate Pride. But have you ever bothered to ask yourself, is this a good thing? Isn't Pride one of the seven deadly sins? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you so much for listening into the show. I'm very grateful to all of you who are loyal listeners, followers, and subscribers. By the way, sidebar here, we approached 74,000 listens last month. That's a record. So thank you for helping grow The Rebellion. Thank you for copying and pasting links to your favorite episodes of The Rebellion out there on social media. Thank you for letting your friends and family know that you appreciate this podcast. I'm very grateful for it. Let's keep The Rebellion growing in the months ahead. And also, as long as I'm on housekeeping here, remember that if you want to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash Piper. That's patreon.com backslash d-r-e-v-e-r-e-t-t-p-i-p-e-r. Also my website, dreverettpiper.com. If you go there, you can access several different tabs. There's a tab for my books, grow up, life isn't safe, but it's good, and not a daycare, the devastating consequences of abandoning truth. There's a tab there if you want to contact me and ask me to speak at your church or any other political organization or whatnot. There's a tab there if you want to access uh, back issues, archived issues of the rebellion, or archived issues of my weekly column for the Washington Times. So that's the way you get in touch with me, and I appreciate all of you for your support. So let's get back to the topic of the day before we take our break. The topic is Pride, and the fact that we're celebrating it for an entire month. This is June. This is Pride Month. Look on your calendar. Look at your iPhone. Look at your uh, laptop. You'll see that the official calendar has Pride Month for the entire month of June. Now, have you ever asked yourself a question, why are we celebrating something for an entire month? I mean, we have days dedicated to the celebration of people and events, things that are important to our nation, our culture, and our country. We have President's Day. We have Memorial Day. We have Labor Day. We have Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We celebrate various different things for a day or so, but how often do we actually dedicate an entire month to something? And when we do so, doesn't that really speak volumes as to what the priorities of our culture and our country really are? I mean, if you're giving an entire month, 30 days thereabout, to celebrate something, it's probably pretty important, first and foremost, for your culture, isn't it? Well, apparently we think pride deserves such a celebration. But here's the other question why in the world are we celebrating pride? I mean, Pope Gregory uh, codified pride as one of the seven deadly sins back in the, if my memory is correct, the 600s. I mean, for nearly a century and a half, pride has been considered a sin. Oh, and I should make it clear. I don't think it was considered a sin first. In the 600s, it was clearly identified as a sin in all of church history, in all of Christian teaching, and frankly, even in Judaism. Pride has never been considered a good thing. It's always been considered a bad thing, a sin. One of the seven deadly sins, the first and foremost sins. In fact, C.S. Lewis calls it the sin that leads to all others. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind, said C.S. Lewis. But yet today, we march in the streets. We dress up. We wave our rainbow banners. We scream and we shout that we're loud and we're proud. And if anybody dares challenge that agenda, they're ridiculed as being intolerant and bigots. Because you're not proud? And you're going to challenge other people for saying that they are? You dare suggest that we ought to confess our pride rather than celebrate it? These are the questions I'm going to deal with today. And I'm going to, I am going to use the teachings of C.S. Lewis again to remind us that pride is the opposite of humility. And humility is a virtue, whereas pride is the corruption of the soul, the complete anti-God state of mind. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So, June 1st is the beginning of Pride Month. And you've seen leaders take to their podiums, their political pulpits, uh, their soapbox, and announce that they're proud to stand with the proud I mean, Joe Biden tweeted, pride stands for courage, pride stands for justice, and most of all, pride stands for love. Happy Pride Month. That's the president of the United States. And again, it seems to escape our notice that this is a little backwards in terms of what human history has documented. Pride always precedes corruption. Pride always is the precursor of a problem, but yet we dedicate an entire month to it, and our president actually tweets, pride stands for courage, pride stands for justice, and most of all, pride stands for love. Happy Pride Month. Talk about a butchering of the definition of words, of ideas. So, Pride Month. Is this something that's good, or is it something that bespeaks of the corruption of our cultural soul? In the fall of 1942, C.S. Lewis—excuse me, C.S. Lewis—was asked by the British Broadcasting Corporation. I'll say that one more time: the British Broadcasting Corporation to do some national broadcasts to encourage the British people, his fellow citizens, to stand strong and resolute in the face of the Nazi um, nightmare that was sweeping over the world and threatening the very shores of his country and the very skies. I mean, stop and think about what they were going through at the time. This it's, it's easy to kind of dismiss this stuff in hindsight because you know who won. But at the time, they did not know who was going to win. And Winston Churchill was trying to embolden the British people to stand resolute and firm. I start this very show with the speech of Winston Churchill where he says, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight in the air. We shall fight. We will not relent. We will never give in until God in his great mercy brings forth the new world, the new world to the rescue of the old. That's Winston Churchill, and it's in the midst of that entire discussion, that entire atmosphere that C.S. Lewis was asked by the British Broadcasting Corporation to be a spokesperson for the British people, to remind them who they were and why they needed to fight in the face of this potential uh, overthrow of their country, because I'm sure there were some people that were saying, "Well, better to be a Nazi, better to be of the Third Reich than to be destroyed and to be killed, kind of like the better red than dead discussion that took place not just a few years later. So Lewis took to the British Broadcasting Corporation microphone and he encouraged the people he he wanted to tell them. Something that was in stark contrast to what President Biden is telling us. In the face of an existential threat, a real one, this Oxford Don, who used to be an agnostic, who used to be anti-God, who had become a recent convert to Christianity, he didn't speak of contrived notions of social justice and this faulty logic of defining ourselves by our desires he didn't talk of a person's right to do whatever he wanted. But no, instead, C.S. Lewis spoke of every man's obligation to do what he must. Lewis didn't flatter the British people with messages of moral license. No, he reminded his listeners of God's moral law. And when Lewis took to his day's version of the social media. Again, the BBC. That's what he had to communicate. He didn't have Facebook or Twitter. He didn't have Parler or MeWe. No, he had the radio. That was the most modern means of communication at the time. So when he took to his social media, he didn't speak in platitudes of affirmation and tolerance. And he didn't talk sanctimoniously of inclusion and love. No, what Lewis spoke about, what he spoke of forthrightly, was about what he called his nation's greatest sin. And what was that sin? What was the sin that Lewis described as the worst of all others? Worse than any other. Now, that vice, that one vice, said Lewis, was a sin of which no man in the world is free. This is his quote. That essential vice is the utmost evil, and it is pride. Again, one more time. This is Lewis speaking right now. This one vice, a sin of which no man in the world is free, that essential vice, primary, first and foremost vice, that utmost evil is pride. And then Lewis went on and he said this, Unchastity and anger and greed and drunkenness and all that, All those things are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. Again, more from Lewis here. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Lewis argued that pride makes you feel you're better than everyone else. Here's his quote. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest, Close quote. So his point was this, a proud person is never satisfied. Pride makes us always want more. More influence, more control, more power. If I'm a proud man, says Lewis, then as long as there is one man in the world more powerful or richer or cleverer than I, he is my rival and he is my enemy. Close quote. Think about that. Think about what Lewis is saying and consider it as we celebrate Pride Month. Lewis characterized pride as the chief cause of human misery. He was saying since the dawn of time, pride has been the issue here. He was saying that pride not only makes us enemies with each other, but it also makes us enemies with God. More from Lewis. This is a quote. In God, you come up against something which in every aspect is immeasurably superior to yourself. One more time. In God, you come up against something which is in every aspect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man, says Lewis, is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see anything that is above you. Close quote. So Lewis is saying that pride causes you... To look away from God because you're looking down. You're not looking up. You're looking down at other people. You're elevating yourself to the position of God. You're putting yourself up above, up above even God himself because you're looking down at all others. Perhaps you're even looking down at the very concept of God. More from Lewis. How is it, asked Lewis, that people who are quite obviously eaten up with pride can say they believe in God and appear to themselves very religious? I am afraid it means they are worshiping an imaginary God, says Lewis, imagining how he approves of them and thinks them far better than ordinary people. That is... They pay a penny's worth of imaginary humility to him and get out of it a pound's worth of pride toward their fellow men. Now think about that as you watch these parades. These parades where they shout, we are loud and we're proud. These parades where they're angry and self-righteous toward everybody else and that they, in their arrogance... Are above all others. They're the ones who are just, and you and I, if we disagree, are unjust. They're the ones that are tolerant, and they can't tolerate your intolerance. They're the ones who say they hate. Hateful people elevating themselves to be the measure of what is hateful and what is not. They're the ones who say that they're sure nothing is sure and that they're absolutely confident there are no absolutes. They're the ones who look down on all others who dare challenge their ideas, their thinking, their identity, because they're proud of who they are. Lewis said that pride leads to the damnation. Of self-righteousness. Does that sound like what I just described? Self-righteousness? Righteous indignation? Where you're indignant because you, you are the measure of everything that's right and wrong. And you'll march in the streets for an entire month, actually an entire life, actually an entire generation because, because you've elevated yourself as God. Like I've said a thousand times on this show, you want to worship the God you see in the mirror rather than the God you find in the Bible. So this damnation of self-righteousness that Lewis talks about, let's go back to his words. He says this, many a man has overcome lesser sins by learning to think that they are beneath his dignity. The devil laughs. He is perfectly content to see you become virtuous, provided all the time he is setting you up in the dictatorship of pride just as he would be quite content to see your common cold cured if he was allowed in return to give you cancer. Did you hear what he just said right now? I'm going to read that one more time to you. Uh, He's talking again about self-righteousness and the damnation of being uh, smug, uh, righteously indignant, uh, feeling that you're the measure of what is good and evil. Um, he says this, many a man has overcome lesser sins by learning to think that they are beneath his dignity. Well, I wouldn't do those things because I'm better than that. Well, he says this, the devil laughs. The devil is perfectly content to see you become virtuous, provided all the time he is setting you up to the dictatorship of pride. Just as the devil would be quite content to see your common cold cured if he was allowed to, in return, to give you cancer. For pride is spiritual cancer, says Lewis. It eats up the very possibility of true love or contentment or even common sense. So, I just find it fascinating that these pride marchers claim to believe in love, but yet they demonstrate their arrogance, their lack of humility, their condescension, uh, their indignation, their, their distaste, their disgust for anybody that doesn't agree with them. Do you think that falls within the definition of love, or is that actually uh, smacking more of hate in a, a vindictive spirit rather than a virtuous one? True love. True love is grounded in humility. True love recognizes that you are, above all, the chief of all sinners. True love reflects the humility of John Newton when he said, Christ is a great savior, but I am a great sinner. Uh, true love is not selfish and does not elevate self. True love is selfless and recognizes That there's other stuff and other things, other people, and another God that's much more important than me. So pride leads to the disdain of others, said Lewis. The real black diabolical pride comes when you look down on others so much that you do not care what they think, said Lewis. But the proud man says, all I have done has been done to satisfy my own ideals Or, in a word, because I am the kind of chap, he says, that just, you know, does that type of thing. If the mob like it, let them. They're nothing to me. What's Lewis saying there? He's saying that pride looks down on other people and doesn't care what they think about what we do. Rather or not, they like what we like or approve of what we like or... Embrace the definitions of our identity that we think are important to us, we don't care anymore. We'll shout them down. We're disgusted with any, any disagreement. Those people, those traditional Christians, those conservatives, those Republicans, oh, they mean nothing to me. That's pride. And it all sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Self-righteousness, the loss of common sense, false definitions of courage and justice and love, coming from our very own president, looking downward at others rather than upward toward God. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Yes, I'll answer the question. It is very familiar. So, you know, America's beginning its long celebration, a month-long celebration of pride. And maybe as we do so, our leaders like Joe Biden and Vice President Harris, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, are Republican leaders who are buying the lie of celebrating pride. Your church, your pastor, your Sunday school class, I don't care who you are, any of us who are buying the lie, drinking the Kool-Aid of pride, we would do well to stop Stop it. All this smug virtue signaling. And maybe, maybe just consider what C.S. Lewis told us some 80 years ago. Maybe in the face of this most mortal of all sins, this complete anti-God state of mind, uh, maybe, maybe we'd all do well to confess, maybe call upon our nation to have a month of confession, a month of confession of the sin of pride rather than taking an entire month to celebrate it. You know, in the few minutes I've got left, I'm going to share with you another story about pride that C.S. Lewis actually writes about in his Chronicles of Narnia, the children's story. This is from one of the children's uh, books that is less popular in that seven Book series called The Chronicles of Narnia. This is the book titled The Horse and Its Boy. The Horse and His Boy, excuse me. I I love The Chronicles of Narnia because he takes a complicated concept that he may describe as a scholar and as an adult adult to adults via mere christianity which is the book i was using to cite many of these quotations of cs lewis in the previous few minutes but in the horse and his boy he draws a, us a picture of this prince uh, an evil prince it was called he was called prince rabadash and he was the heir of kellermain this was the land that stood in opposition to Narnia. So Calarmin was the enemy, and Narnia was the land of Aslan. Aslan is the Christ figure, the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the eastern sea. And Prince Rabadash is actually engaging in a battle in this particular book. And Lewis kind of crafts this funny episode, this comic episode where he highlights the sin of pride. And I want you to listen to this, what he does. During the battle, Rabadash actually ends up getting captured. So he's losing. He's losing against Narnia. And he's hemmed in at the top of a wall and he decides he's going to jump down into the into the midst of the battle. And he's going to elevate himself. And Lewis paints it like this. He, he, he says that Rabidash jumps down into the battle and actually gets hung up on a, on a hook on the wall. And he, he's, he's hanging there and everybody starts laughing at them. This is, this is funny. Well, why does Lewis paint it as a humorous picture? This, this comic end, uh, this laughable uh, termination point of this man's, of Rabidash's pride, getting hung up on the wall of the castle, of the fortress, as he tried to jump down into the battle, screaming in pride that he would conquer all. Uh, Well, he actually quotes Thomas More elsewhere, at least Lewis does. And he says that Thomas More said this, The devil, the proud spirit, cannot endure to be mocked. Um, He also talks about Martin Luther, who said, The best way to drive out the devil, if he will not yield to the texts of Scripture, is to jeer and to flaunt him, for he cannot bear to be scorned. That's Martin Luther. So, what's Lewis's point? The best way to confront pride is to laugh at it. The devil doesn't like to be scorned or flaunted or jeered at, says Martin Luther. And a proud spirit cannot endure to be mocked, said Thomas More. That's Lewis's point here. And he's giving us a little bit of coaching as to how we should confront the sin of pride. Maybe not just in others, but I do think that's the way we are going to successfully deal with this, is to just say, are you serious? Are you serious? You're going to march in the streets, dressed like that, and you think that this isn't funny. You're going to say that you're going to define yourself by your libido, that that's the end-all and be-all of who you are? <laughs> that, that smacks of the definition of a dog, not the definition of a man or a woman that's created in the image of God. Amago day, Are you the image of God or are you the Imago dog? Uh, I sure hope. I sure hope you think you're bigger and better than the animal, the beast, who de- defines himself by his belly. Do you get my point here? It, it's humorous in a sad way. In an oxymoronic way, it's humorous to watch people define themselves in such guttural ways. Your gut is not the end-all and be-all of who you are. Aslan actually responds to Rabadash, and he says, he warns him, Have care, Rabadash. Thy doom is nearer now. It is at the door. It has lifted up the latch. In other words, Aslan is warning Rabadash, stop flaunting your pride. You still have an opportunity to confess. But Rabidash will not do so. So what does Aslan do? He turns him into a donkey, a jackass, who brays his way into eternal doom. I'll conclude with this. In Rabidash, Lewis reminds us that pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. That's Proverbs 16.18 from the Bible. Think about that. Maybe that's the Bible verse for the month. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It's not something we should be celebrating people. We should be confessing it. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.